Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today Tony. we're... <laughs> Hello, Chef. Good Lord. Today is all about comfort. Isn't that a cozy program idea? I love it. It makes me think of my fireplace that I love so much and sitting in front of it and reading books and sipping hot cider, spiced cider, and maybe having cheese and meats out on a tray and... You, you lost me on bread. the I got You know I'm a curmudgeon. You lost me on the cider. I'm sorry. Oh, Tony. The world loves that and thinks it's charming. And that you're very charming, but <laughs> cider, I can't do the cider. Oh, I didn't know you didn't. I didn't realize you didn't like it. Gosh, I've never heard anybody no. say they didn't. That's interesting. No, I, w- I, I would like it. to replace that with a, a really solid uh, malt whiskey. Well, that sounds exciting. I like that idea. That's just my is, comfort. Can we just can I ask a, probably a dumb question? Um what is malt exactly? Malted whiskey. The traditional whiskey in Scotland is malted whiskey. Okay. That's all. All right. And this program is not going to be about how malted Scotch whiskey, whiskey is made. While it will make <laughs> Ooh, me we happy. We should do that. <laughs> it will make all but 11 listeners very sleepy, I think, if I go into that. <laughs> so let's, let's right. go into comfort food, which is what everyone actually wants this time of the year. Mm-hmm. The things that are going to make you happy. The the polenta that my daughters want like, you know, five meals a week at this point of the year, the soups, what, what's on your list? I mean, you, I know, you know, what's on my list. Yeah. I, I know what's at the top of it. Um, <clears throat> for me, I immediately think of the traditional French dishes and also some of the things that my mother made, uh, that's Pennsylvania Dutch cooking. But, um, I think of coco vin, I think of beef bourguignon, which we can all translate into stewed chicken and stewed beef and stewed lamb dishes uh, as well. My mom made a great lamb stew, and that was really very special for us to have lamb. I, I imagine when I w- we were growing up, it probably there probably wasn't a lot of lamb in the grocery stores. It probably depended on where you lived in the country, but um, lamb stew was. I mean, we all just loved that, and it was always fun too because. You know, it's the continuation of the idea of service, which she would have a beautiful terrine, you know, not something fancy, but just something that had been in the family for a while, but she would serve it in a, a nice terrine and um, she would serve it from the front, you know, from her seat on the table and um, pour us all a bowl and, you know, we'd have some sort of, well, you know, back then, of course, we had white bread. Um, now we could have some gorgeous, rustic, well-made, beautiful bread, but those things weren't available back then either. So, um, but that's how she would serve it. And it always had, you know, carrots and lots of onions and potatoes. And she didn't put any green vegetables or anything like corn or anything like that in nothing, it. It was always dangerous know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was pretty straightforward <laughs> potatoes, onions, carrots, and she might've had a little celery in there, but, um, yeah, stewed lamb. Oh my gosh. I can smell that right now. I can taste it in my mouth. I mean, it really is amazing. And and my grandmother made the same dish. So, you know, I think that's what food does for us. You know, it is comforting. And as you said on one of our last shows, you know, what restaurant really means is in, in, uh, is restorative. And, um, you know, that's to me what comfort food is. It's a restorative. It's, it's, it's there for us when we're sick. It's there for us when we're cold. It's there for us when we're just plain old hungry. In that family of uh, French comfort dishes, I always think of um, two two other dishes as well, very regional. 
One is a dub, D-A-U-B-E, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, from Provence. And the best I've ever had was made with sanglier, wild boar. Oh, yum. And uh, yeah, wild, wild boar and that like nice big lardon bacon and mm. lots of garlic and oh, orange good. peel. Oh, that's nice. Is a, is, is, is a twist in that particular dish. So yes. there's a little bit of that bitter element. You, the closer you get to the Mediterranean, the more likely you are to see that sort of element showing up on the palate. And uh, and that I, I, that's stuck in my head. There's a restaurant in Avignon um, that I was hoping to take everyone to called La Fauchette. And they have the best dub I've ever had. And it's always made with whatever is around. And if there's game, it's game. And... Uh, you know, so there was, it was wild hair one time. Traditionally, it's beef. Gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've had it with veal there. But the, the time with the songlier was definitely my favorite. That sounds it has amazing. has that, you know, the, the, the leanest of pork, but a little bit stronger flavor. And the trick is to, when you're browning the meat, throw a little bit of liver in there mm. as well. Gives it a little bit more of a spicy edge. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, dobe is traditionally made with beef and um, you think of it as a very rustic dish and a very old dish in French cooking. Um, but yeah, it's very, very simple, very straightforward. Yeah, there, there's, there's your match for the crusty bread or, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and, and sometimes rice. Oh, okay. The, uh, the, the other regional dish that jumps to mind, everyone knows Coco Vin, but the Alsatian dish Coco Riesling Mm. I like that one. Um, just to be a little bit prejudicial, the bacon is better <laughs> in Alsace. You know, th- those those guys know what to do with pigs, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like the little bit of sweetness in the dish, not just from the the onions, but from the the riesling itself. Yeah, I, I, they almost always serve that with, uh, you know, with the butter noodles that they have in that area. Oh. The, Yum. The egg noodles, mm-hmm. which which look a lot like tagliatelle or fettuccine or something, mm-hmm. um, but that's that that's always nice. You just kind of pull all the bones, and then you have uh, you you have one of those dishes. So how about why don't you talk through uh, one or two of the French classics, okay. and I'll give you some comfort wines to go with it, and then we can move on to some other places in the world and some of the other comfort dishes we like best. Well, one we didn't mention, which is really kind of super fun to make, um, is Blanquette de Veau. And oh, I, yeah. I, I think I might make that um, next week. Um, it, is, it is a dish that's all about white things, basically. So veal, um, and it's not browned, which is very, very unusual um, for a, a dish that's braised, because I can't think of any other time when I wouldn't brown something first. Um, but, uh, so it's, it's veal with onions and you could use pearl onions. You could use Cipollini onions. You could just use Spanish onions in the summertime. You could use Vidalia onions. Um, I love pearl onions in this dish. Is there a veal cut that you prefer? Uh, I usually use uh, shoulder, veal shoulder. I think that that's a great cut. You could use top round. Um, that's a large piece of meat. I, I'm sure you could buy a piece of top round at the, at the market, but, um, you want a tough piece of meat to, to cook. Uh, that's why you're braising it, and it makes it less expensive to make the dish. But yeah, I do like the shoulder, and um, or you could. I know you like the veal neck. You could uh, do that as well. Yeah. That you that's know. just this, mm-hmm. the flavor you get from the stock and the amount of gelatin that comes from 
-hmm. from that, even without browning, is nice to have. So you're cutting the veal into, you know, maybe like two inch, three inch pieces, um, not not small, but they shouldn't be too big. And you're going to cook it with, you are going to put carrots in, so it's kind of the only thing that has any color. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, I think what's nice about the carrot is it introduces sweetness into the dish. And um, you could also, oh, and you could also use shallots, which are m more available. And um, I think, I feel like sometimes pearl onions are sort of seasonal in our markets here. Um, they're always around around Thanksgiving. So I don't know if you can always find them everywhere. But anyway, so let's just do pearl onions, um, carrots, uh, and I would put a little bit of shallot in as well. It can be uh, medium dice. It doesn't have to be whole like the pearl onions will be. And, a little bit um, spicier to go with the pearl onion sweet. Mm-hmm and uh button mushrooms and a say quartered button mushrooms and you would saute uh, sorry well actually i am going to saute the veal so i would i would saute the veal uh, you don't have to brown it brown it brown it but you do want to cut it dry it put it into a hot pan and start to brown it um add the shallots um add the carrots to the pan deglaze with white wine and honestly your Gewürztraminer would be delicious in there. That would be different. Um, normally we would use a Chardonnay, but um, you could certainly use that wine and uh, add, add uh, veal stock or chicken and veal stock, either whatever you have there, but it needs to be a white stock. That's a stock that's not been, the bones have not been browned. And, um, uh, and just let it cook until it's soft and tender. Uh, a little bit of salt. You could put a couple of bay leaves in. You could put a couple of pieces of black peppercorn. You can do that in a sachet, what we call a sachet, which is cheesecloth and tie it with butcher's twine and then tie it to the handle of your pot so you don't lose it. And that would be a couple of bay leaves and maybe eight or nine black peppercorns. You could put a tiny bit of dried thyme in there. And that way, that's a nice aromatic for it. And just like I said, cook it until it's tender. Uh, this you will want to thicken with a light roux, so a blonde roux. Um, which is butter and flour used as a thickening agent in equal parts. So you would just make probably, you know, if you were making enough uh, uh, blanquette for, let's say, four people, you'd probably only need about three ounces of uh, roux for that. And um, so you would when, when you would, And that's equal parts butter and flour butter and by flour. weight, right? Right. So you would melt the, the butter, add uh, whisk in the flour, and just cook it for a couple of minutes on low heat so that it begins to go from being raw uh, into being a blonde roux. You don't want any color, real color on that. And it should look like wet sand at low tide. That's the exact consistency of a roux. Um, and uh, once the stew is uh, finished, then you can whisk uh, some of that in. You don't have to put it all in at once. Uh, you can whisk some of that in. And once it comes up to a boil, it will have thickened and then turn it back down to a low simmer. So it cooks gently and cook it out for, you need to cook out a roux for 30 minutes. So recognize that you're going to be cooked. You can either strain off the, the, the sauce and thicken it, or you can add it at the end of the cooking process when you think you have about 30 minutes left to cook the veal. I'm so and glad then, you added this dish to the French classics. <laughs> the, it, is, it is genuinely one of the happiest things I love it. for me. That oh, good. You, you're sort of prescribed to have white wine with it. When you said Chardonnay, it always, always th it's Macon that you want, you know, you're you're just north of Lyon with that. And uh, it, if it's red, it's also from just north of Lyon, Beaujolais, that you'd want. But there's so many good Macon Chardonnays, and they have some weight to them typically. You know, so saint Véran, puy Puissé, um, Macon Fuissé, and so on, so on, so on. I'm Sounds not going to name them all. But, and they, they can usually be 
found, you know, delicious wines for moderate prices, mm -hmm. which is also not so bad. When I think with that dish, you talked about noodles. I mean, I love noodles. So I would, you know, it's not traditional, but you could certainly serve noodles with this dish. Or, um, I, I mean, I would also serve rice with it because that's There are French grandmothers all over falling down right now. I know. It's not traditional. <laughs> but we're today, we're not in the 18 or 17 or 1600, so we could do yeah, you're it. Gonna make, you're going to make your own decisions, Cindy Wolf, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a very good excuse to have a, a Macon. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other, you know, you know, everybody, ever since that movie, Julia and Julia came out, everybody talks about uh, beef bourguignon and um, how Julia Child's recipe is so famous uh, for its execution and that's good. Uh, all of its tips. Exactly. It's a fantastic recipe. Um, and I think with uh, uh, that, or you can call it beef stew, because that's what we would call it here. Um, <clears throat> I think, again, that's what cut of meat do you use? Uh, and then your garnish on on that is lardon and onions again, and mushrooms again. It's interesting how a lot of these dishes are very similar with the garnish. Um, and of course, you're using a great red burgundy. Well, not, I'm sorry, not a great red burgundy, but you're using a red burgundy to, to cook the, uh, the beef, which has... Uh, you know, has acid in it. So it helps to break down the meat. Um, so it not only adds flavor, but it does its job as well um, to tenderize the meat. And um, I was thinking how fun it would be to make bourguignon with short ribs instead of a traditional boneless, you know, less expensive cut. So you can use a boneless, less expensive cut of beef to make um, uh, uh, bourguignon. Or I'll tell you, brisket is pretty darn nice in that situation. Okay, good, good. So brisket. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, all you have to do is ask your butcher for stew meat. And um, I mean, my sister makes a lot of Persian dishes with, uh, with, with, with beef and she, that's what she just does. You know, it would never have occurred to me that that's what you go to a butcher and ask for. Um, uh, it's not exactly an industry term, but um, yeah, that's what you can do. And um, you can also tell them what you're doing with it. But with that, you know, you're, you are browning the meat nicely. And again, I think it's just so important to recognize that you need to pat the meat dry. I mean, obviously it has blood in it. It has natural moisture content. So you, that's the enemy of you browning something is moisture. So just pat it dry. Just, um, you would do the same thing if you were making coco vin with the chicken, you know, after, cause we always wash our chicken before we work with it. Um, and by the way, I have to, I have to say this. So there was, there's one of the housewife show. Yes, I do watch them. And, um, <laughs> the lady goes, tries to teach the other lady how to make a roasted chicken. And she says, okay, so go ahead and wash the chicken. And she goes over to the sink and takes the hand soap and hot oh. water. Oh, oh. I will never, as a, I will never, ever, as a chef, ever forget seeing that episode. I'm like, no, I'm yelling at the television. No, what are you doing? How could you possibly be doing that? But anyway, so don't do that. We rinse our chicken. If you are making cocoa vin, rinse your chicken in cold water and then pat out. If, if you know, this is a whole chicken, obviously, you're going to pat out the center, which you're also going to find some a little bit of blood and part, you know, some of the, you know, liver might still be in there clinging to something, you know, you're going to find some stuff in there. So let's get that all out and let's dry the inside of the chicken as well as pat the outside dry. And then when you break it down, pat it again. Um, <clears throat> but getting back to the beef bourguignon, um, uh, you want 
we often talk about, and it's just extremely important, that you never want to overcrowd your pan when you're browning something. Because what will happen is you will drop the temperature of that very hot pan very quickly because you're adding, obviously you're adding cold product to the pan. You're not like letting the food become warm or something before you cook it. And because it's cold, it's going to, like I said, drop the temperature super quickly. And um, if you have more than the surface area of the pan, you will be boiling your meat instead of browning it. And that is absolutely not what you want to do. So um, give yourself a little bit of open space. And I'm not saying big, huge gaps, because that's going to cause you problems too, but um, a little bit of open space in the bottom of the pan, and certainly no more than one level of meat, if you don't understand what I'm saying. So brown it. And, and if you have to do it in batches, you do it in batches. Just have a, a like a sheet pan on the side of your stove and um, uh, or a bowl or a hotel, you know, I don't know, hotel pan is what we call them, but a, you know, a glass dish, whatever. And um, do it in batches if you have to, if you're making a lot. And and, um, but, you know, obviously the ideal thing is, is to have the, the proper pan for the size of the amount of meat you have. And, um, you want preferably slope sided pan instead of straight sided pan for this step, but you can't cook it in there. So you may be using two different pans, um, to, to make this product with the slope sided pan and you're browning it. Then when it's brown, you can add onions and carrots to the pan deglaze with red wine, add a little bit of tomato paste and add your stock. Uh, I use chicken and veal stock. You could use beef stock if you have it or just straight veal or just straight chicken, but chicken is not going to have as much gelatin in it. So uh, that's why we add veal bones to our stock. Um, and as that, that just comes up to a boil, then turn it down to a very, very gentle simmer. You can eat, uh, put a lid on it, um, maybe a little off center so that it's, it's, uh, some of the steam is escaping. You can either leave it on your stovetop or you can put it in your oven, say a 300 degree oven and let it just gently, gently, and keep an eye on it, make sure it's not boiling, um, and gently, gently cook it until it's nice and tender. And then that sauce also gets thickened with a light roux and uh, it, the garnish is nice, beautiful pieces of lardon, which is, you know, pieces of bacon, it's cut into a square, it can be, you know, whatever size you like. Uh, the roast, uh, you can roast some pearl onions, roast them, peel them, or you can boil them, uh, peel them, and uh, toss them with a little bit of butter and add that, and uh, button mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, quite obviously, the accompaniment for this is, is red burgundy, so... Mm -hmm. Whether it is Bourgogne Rouge, uh, you get excellent wines from 18, 19 vintage, just in Bourgogne Rouge. Um, the villages to the north are usually the things that I like the best. Uh, Marcenet, Fissin, uh, if you want something beefier, Gevre Chambertin. And you can have one of the crews, but you don't need it. It's something gutsy that you want. Mm -hmm. gutsy. So when we come back, Sind, uh, I'm going to have one more French question for you. Then let's spend some time on some comfort pasta. On a formidable phone, food and wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Formidable Phone, food and wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're digging into comfort food. We just spent a lot of time on French classic comfort dishes. And Cindy, you have an, an email from a listener on the topic, no? Yes. Oh, so I always get excited when uh, they say they're from Greensboro because I think it's going to be North Carolina. But 
I didn't know there was a Greensboro here. So Rocky from Greensboro, Maryland. Happy New Year to you all. I just made one of my family's favorite comfort dishes with a mistakenly purchased three pounds of onions. <laughs> That's awesome. French onion soup always hits the spot with good crusty bread and Swiss or Gruyere cheese. My recipe uses Sauvignon Blanc and calls for a half cup to deglaze and another whole cup for the cook to help pass the time while caramelizing onions. I love that. <laughs> Always a hit, even with my three and five-year-old daughters. With a good stock and lots of love and care, this dish always comes out amazing. Hope you and all the listeners have a great 2022. Best, Rocky. I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, onion soup is satisfying, and it is plenty of work to... The onions kind of have to steam out before they even begin to caramelize. Right. And I mean, I think that's sort of one of the ultimate comfort dishes. I'm glad that, that uh, Rocky sent us that because, um, you know, whenever I go to a restaurant that serves it, if it's in the wintertime, I just really desperately want to order French onion soup. Yeah, and, it's, it's, it's hard to resist. Oh, yeah. And the beauty of it is, you know, we all love melty cheese. I mean, it's just so comforting and you know we've got some great crusty bread in there and then that sweetness of the onions and the incredible stock and then i don't know if this is necessarily totally traditional but i love a little bit of cognac in my french onion soup and yeah definitely red wine and i've even put a tiny bit of port in mine before too just to this that is not traditional in any way but i like that little bit of sweetness also in there just a little bit to sort of perfume it. You have more French grandmothers falling down. <laughs> no, so, don't let so them my, fall my, down. So my, my question for you while we're on the subject of France, and then we can move into uh, to some pasta foolishness. Is there a comfort dessert for you? Like what is the most comfort dessert for you in French cooking? And do you ever make it for yourself or for mm -hmm. friends? Mm -hmm. You know, I, Not I love. Not just in a restaurant situation. There are a couple that I like. Um, chocolate mousse is one of my very favorite desserts. It always has been since I was a little girl. My mom had some crazy cookbook that I, ha I have now. Um, she recently gave it to me that, I mean, the recipe had Cointreau in it, and that was very unusual back then, too, I think, to use in cooking. And um, I always loved chocolate mousse. When she first made that, I just thought it was the best thing in the world. And then um, my really favorite dessert is from Beaugravier, um, from Guy Julien uh, in, in Mondragon. It says apple tart. I, I love apples and I love caramel. Caramel is one of my favorite, favorite things in this world. Anything that's done that's crazy to sugar, I just love. Like when I was little, I loved cotton candy. I just thought cotton candy was like something done by angels. I imagined that angels made that for all the little children. And um, I was just so amazed by how it melted when it hit your tongue. And then, of course, the colors were kind of super fun. But, you know, of course, now in the kitchen, we make spun sugar. And uh, that's like to me also, I mean, as an adult, I still think it's one of the more magical things in this world. Something you cannot make on a hot, humid day, that is for sure, because it will be ruined and destroyed. But uh, that's that's something you can do. Um, I, I, it's dangerous to do uh, work to work with sugar that's to that point of uh, how hot it has to be and how um, the stage it has to be in order to spin it to make um, spun sugar. Uh, but caramel, caramel is also sort of dangerous to make because it comes to a very high, I mean, I will never forget, I worked with a grill cook in Charleston, South Carolina, when I first started cooking, and I watched him and 
two of us in the kitchen were like, no, oh my God. And slow motion, motion watched him drag, try to drag his finger through a pot of hot, hot caramel cooking that my chef had on the stove. Oh, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh. oh my gosh. And so if you are going to do something with caramel, please be extremely careful and don't keep it absolutely drag your away. Finger through it. <laughs> yeah. Don't drag your finger through it. Oh. Keep it away from children and absolutely be careful. Um, but, and have a great pot, uh, a great stainless steel, really heavy pot to do, um, sugar work in. But, um, uh, Guy makes an apple tart with puff pastry dough and, um, he has honey in that dessert as well. And it is just, I love how the apples are fresh, but yet they're caramelized, some of them. And, um, the ice cream that he makes is so delicious and the caramel on the plate and, it's just, I love that dessert and it's hot and it's just, you know, probably maybe my mom made something like that. I just don't remember it when I was a kid. My mom always made pastry um, and she loved apples too. I get that honestly. So did my dad. And um, yeah, so apple tart is in that form, especially I like a, I'm not a big pie person. I have to admit, I, I don't really like regular pie dough. I like short pastry dough. I like sweet pastry dough very, very much, which is basically like a cookie dough, but real pie dough just doesn't really turn me on at all. So I've never been a pie person, um, but tarts, French, traditional French tarts, oof, apple tart like that, especially with French Japan um, in it. Oh, that's another, oh my goodness. I love that so much. So I think, apple. I think, well, you know, you know, mine that, in, in France, it's a baba, you know, oh, yeah. baba okay. rhum, right? And and, yeah. and baba is a very is not that difficult to make. If you can make brioche, you can make baba. Mm -hmm. It's essentially the same process, just sweeter. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it kind of ends up looking like a lumpy donut that doesn't have a hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or Yorkshire to, pudding in a way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but but much lighter and airier than that. And right. And the whole point is. To put some creme fraiche on the side, which is a you know it's, it's mm, fatty and yeah. it's sour, yeah, and to give it a good soak with uh, really good rum, hmm. and uh, ooh, yeah, that's well, a, it's, your, it's your sweet and your after dinner drink all at once. I was gonna say I've seen you eat that at Chez George in Paris, and um, uh, that plate was full of rum. I, I, like you just said, it is your dessert and your after dinner drink at the same time. Yes. I I cannot eat that dessert. That's just overwhelming to me. The amount of alcohol it's a that very efficient way of finishing <laughs> your meal. All right, uh, you, re you ready to move on to uh, yeah to Italy with some pastas? Yes, your favorite. Well, my I, a lot of people, and and oh, certainly my pasta. my sure. my daughters is like a crazy thing, mm -hmm. and. And I always feel like filled pasta, really good filled pasta, is, the, is sort of the ultimate luxury in that world. Yeah. And making fresh pasta is a lot of work. And I'm not going to go into making dough, and but you know, it is double zero flour. The more that it's just purely yolks that you use, uh, the the more supple the texture, the richer it's going to be. As some people can't bring themselves to do that. You have to use good salt, uh, sea salt, not some crazy flavored salt uh, but that because there are only three things <laughs> mm -hmm. you know and when you're throwing water in there you're getting a gluten reaction and that's going to change the texture of the flour too mm -hmm. um, and it's work yeah, and, but it's uh, and when you work. put it when you work. put it through the sheeter people always think oh I want it to be this thick so I'm going to run it at this level it never works you have to take it down from 10 to 9 to 8 to 7 to 6 to <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you want to get it down to you know 
it, honestly, half a mile. If you if you can see your hand through it when it's stretched out, you probably have it about right. There you go. Yeah. And um, when you do that, then you just you know you you lay it out, and you have plenty of flour on the surface, and you can cut with a knife, or you can use there there are spaced cutters that you can adjust the spacing and just kind of roll them up and down the table. Um, if you're good at drawing like graph, <laughs> if you're good at drawing the grid, you're probably going to be good at using your knife to, to go ahead and cut it. You, you want to cut them about, what, two and a half times the size of the tortellini that you want to end up with. And you need to, you need to make the filling, obviously. So, and, and the, the filling is also a lot of work. So, and it's it's the Bolognese style of tortellini that I'm talking about. So, mm. you, first you you choose what is the meat that's going to be in there. Some people will put beef in there. I, it, if it's Bologna, it's pork, uh, mm. and it should either be a shoulder. You could get away with a butt, um, or <laughs> if you want to be luxurious about it, it's a pork neck. Mm-hmm. If you want to be really correct about it, you're going to make a pork stock or a chicken stock with pig's feet which I think is the best because it's not as like ponderously heavy. It has some of the sweetness from the the pork, but it has all of that gelatin. Um, But if you, if you want to end up with tortellini and brodo, you you have to make that anyway. But a little bit of that stock reduced uh, makes a very big difference in in the end in your mixture. So let's say you're taking the pork neck, you're going to cut it into small pieces, a little bit like you were talking about for and browning the same way that you were talking about. Season the meat lightly, brown it. Uh, you're going to deglaze it a little bit. Um, usually the wine that you're going to have with it is, it, you know, it's an, it's an easy to think, oh, I'm going to have that with uh, with tortellini traditional Lambrusco or a sparkling uh, a Bonarda or something like that, or maybe a Barbera, just a decent splash. And that's, that's also where you add mirepoix. It's where you add garlic. Keep your garlic whole so you can pick them out. You don't mm. want to have a garlic surprise. Okay. Domin- you, what you don't want is garlic dominance. You want that flavor. Mm-hmm. And you need to add your, your stock, your mirepoix, uh, maybe a couple of bay leaves, a couple of peppercorns, you, and put a top on that pot, and you're going to cook it for a while till it cooks through, probably 30, 45 minutes, depending upon the volume that you're that – you're, that you have going there. You, you want, you, it needs to be moist as it cooks, but it can't cook until it's dry, if that makes sense. And it also can't be soup. So you, there's a certain amount of feel to that. Now, when you, when you take the meat out, the braising liquid from that, cooking that, uh, can be further reduced. Now, that stock and that little bit of wine. And, and that's where you get rid of the mirepoix, you get rid of the garlic, you get rid of the bay leaves because they all should have already done their job flavoring that meat. Um, and then that pork needs to be ground. If, chances are you don't have a grinder, but probably a decent chance you may have a, a food processor. If you're going to do it all by hand, God bless you. Um, you you want to get it very fine. And if it's a grinder, you put it through twice to mince. If it's a food processor, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but you want to, to grind that on its own to get the texture pretty silky. Separately, uh, about the easy way to measure, 
the meat is probably probably just about half, probably equal to a mixture of prosciutto or mortadella uh, that that you're going to add to it. The prosciutto mortadella you're going to cut very small. Uh, the prosciutto is probably 60%, mortadella is probably 40%. And then you're going to be generous with parmigiano with that, for sure. A lot of the salt, is why you want to season lightly, is because a lot of the salt of the dish is going to come from those cured items mm-hmm. for, the, for the farce. You're going to grind that also, or run that in your food processor, get it silky, then combine them both after the fact. What you what you don't want to do is try to take things with different densities to try to achieve that fine texture at the same time. It, it just won't go well, and you'll end up with lumpy. You'll end up with a lumpy farce. When, when you when you have everything nice and silky, then you're going to mix with enough eggs to bind, but not anywhere near enough to dominate it. If you have something that is too wet, um, if it if it's not really tidy, if it doesn't hold together pretty perfectly when you pick it up. Um, then, then you may need to add a little bit of breadcrumb to it. That's that's an easy correction. If it's too dry, if it's too sandy when you pick it up, then you need to add a little bit of uh, a little bit of stock. So, the the other thing that some people will do is add a little bit of ricotta. If you do that, then you're probably going to need the breadcrumb. That's the last sort of editorial comment. Ricotta I would say, but that, good in there. that that mixture. You're going to have you're going to mix very into a very very silky consistency. Put it in a piping bag and pipe it onto those little squares that you cut right in the center. And it needs to not cover too much space. You'll know from doing the first one how much is the right amount. And totally near, very easy to make because if it's a square, if it's a square that you cut, uh, you go ahead and put the farce in the center of it. You fold it into a triangle, and then you pinch it together just a little bit and then pull the ends around like uh, like if you're wearing a straight jacket, like they pull the arms <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> mm-hmm. pull the arms behind you, right? You're doing the mm-hmm. same thing with the, with the ends so they kind of curl that way. And it looks a little bit like you have a you have a hat with, you know, or a bishop's hat, I guess is mm-hmm. one or the other. Sometimes there's a version of this called capaletti. Um, literally a little hats is what it means. So anyway, but that dish, you can you can just use the brodo, the stock that you made uh, with the, with the pig's foot. Um, you can, you know, float mushrooms in there. There's any kind of garnish goes in that stock if you'd like. It's great to just have the tortellini cooked in that gently for fresh ones. And you're going to let them sit for a little while before you cook them. Sounds you're going to cook them gently for, for a couple of minutes. And, and they'll increase in, si- in size. You'll be surprised how much they will increase in size. You may want to test one to make sure that they won't unwrap and make sure you're not rushing it either. This is a make in the morning, cook in the afternoon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Sounds good. I could eat that it, right now. It, it, it is good. It is definitely a project. That is a Sunday project that makes everybody happy and sleep well in your house. <laughs> and it's for that Bonarda or uh, Lambrusco as a pair. So we can do a few more pasta and we should talk American comfort dishes when we get back. On Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine, and Cindy and I are both getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today it's all about comfort food. Cindy, we were talking about tortellini. I was talking about the process. Mm-hmm. Two things I foolishly did not talk about. One, I always put nutmeg in that mixture. Okay. As it gets finished. At the same nice. time when the egg goes in there. Okay. Just enough to get a You'd notice it a tiny little bit. Okay. One. Two, I always add a little bit of nutmeg. Uh, at that time when the when the mixture is getting the ad the ad of the eggs and all that sort of business going on, that's also a good time to check for black pepper. And you don't just have to make you know the brodo to serve the tortellini with. You can reduce that and turn it into a sauce. And nice to finish that. You know when you get it down to sauce consistency, finishing it with a little bit of fresh rosemary in the winter time is really nice. Um, you can serve it with. The sauce, the tortellini on top of that, a little bit of fonduta, which is a cheese sauce, but but leaning heavily towards Parmigiano, and um, and some fresh pistachios. As a that's a very classical way of presenting that. Yeah, so, I like fun. I like uh, fontina and uh, taleggio and fonduta too. Absolutely, absolutely. Nice ne- melty ne- cheeses. So, what is your favorite broth? Because that that I mean, maybe obviously clearly is mine. That chicken with the big speed. Sure. What is your favorite I, broth? I recently made oxtail broth and oh my goodness, it is so beautiful. It's almost golden in color. Uh, the fat is golden. Um, it is just a lovely broth that has good flavor and it's, I, I, I don't know how to say other than it's, it's like a clean flavor. It's really sort of pure. Um, so they, they are, it is actually the tail from a beef kettle. Um, it, it is called ox tail and it used to be from ox, but we don't, you know, raise those too much anymore. So yeah, it's just um, those last bones. Right. And um, it's, it's full of gelatin and it has a little bit of meat. And by the way, the meat is extremely good. Um, I, I, I could see whenever Otto and I, 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 when I made it, I made some yesterday and when I, we pulled the meat out of, uh, to strain the stock, I could see he was eyeballing those pieces of meat. And I'm, all I could think of was, ooh, I see a really good taco in my future with you know cilantro and jalapeno and a little bit of onion on it and that oxtail. Oh, I, I just knew, he, I knew what he was thinking when he saw it. So, um, <clears throat> so you can't, there is a little bit of usable trim from that when you make that stock uh, broth. So uh, brown the bones um, and then, uh, I, and when I brown bones like that, I brown them in the oven. I'm not saying brown them in a pan on the stove like we would when we sear something uh, to make a, uh, to braise it or something. Um, but brown them and then you do want to uh, remove the fat from the, sh- you know, from the bones, the sheet pan, um, and because uh, it's going to give off some more fat. There's no question. And uh, um, the mirepoix, carrot, celery, onion. I did put a little bit of tomato paste in. I put a little bit of red wine in, not much, and then uh, bay leaf uh, and peppercorns and uh, water, obviously. And you always, uh, to run a stock or broth, uh, the difference between a stock and a broth is that stock is made with bones and a broth is made with bones and meat or meat on the bones. Um, So that's a difference, technically. Um, uh, Add the water uh, to cover by probably about... 
you know, four inches or so. Um, and that cold water will help to allow the impurities to uh, uh, remove themselves from the bones and uh, fat will also rise, that will rise to the top in the form of scum. And uh, the fat will also rise to the top, you want to skim that off. And once it comes up to a boil, turn the uh, broth down to a very, very low simmer, um, it should, a bubble should burst every second, that's how slow it should go. And um, yeah, and then just keep skimming it as it throws off fat or throws off uh, a little bit of scum. And um, you'll have a gorgeous broth. Um, I, I ran mine for seven hours, which is a long time to run a, a stock. But that's how we run all of our stocks. We we sometimes run them even longer than that. I've, I've run a stock for 12 hours before. With, with this one, it's called a remoulage. We also did a second running of the bones. So that means I made my broth, um, strained it, and we put the bones right back in a pot with new mirepoix, new aromatics, and new cold water, brought it back up. And you obviously don't get as much flavor on the second running. And you can do this with veal bones or any hearty bones. I wouldn't do it with chicken bones or bird, you know, bird bones are just too fine. But a big bone like a lamb, lamb bone or a, a veal bone, or in this case, these oxtail bones, um, yeah, you can you can get a little bit more out of it, which is we don't waste anything. So um, I do suggest the remoulage and you can look up that word uh, if you want to. Um, and um, yeah, so it was it was just absolutely beautiful. Super excited about it. And we're serving it with a Elysian Fields lamb valentine and um, uh, petite rouge peas from Charleston, South Carolina that I slow cooked in uh, a, a, a pork broth with a little bit of Tabasco. And it's it's super, super, super fun. That sounds old-fashioned and happy. <laughs> the um, soups are always notoriously difficult to pair wines with. Hmm. Uh, something like that oxtail broth, if you're just having that with bread or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that, you know, it's really fortified wines that are dry that you want. Social Madeira or, um, you know, a Palacotado Sherry. So, something with a little bit of base note to it, but not going to be dominant and not going to be sweet. Okay. It's funny you said that immediately you thought, oh, there'll be good tacos in my future from the oxtail meat. <laughs> I immediately thought of making a pasta farce <laughs> with that and porcinis. Oh, that would be good. You know, and maybe you serve that in a broth or maybe you serve that with a cream sauce or mm -hmm. any any number of things. that. The other two pastas I would tell people to to look up to to research that are just as happy to eat as the tortellini bolognese. Uh, one is called Kazunse. Kazunse is uh, a bit like a ravioli, uh, often made in a mezzaluna shape, a half moon. Uh, it's almost like an overstuffed ravioli, which is easier in that shape. Um, and that, in the same way that that pork got treated for the uh, tortellini. But it's all parts of the pig. And it's important to have some liver. Pork liver is really sweet. And, and some pork heart in there. And you can put any number of other different parts of the pig in there. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a slang word, say that means kitchen sink. Literally using all parts of the pig to make cool. the sausage that fills that. And it, it gets seasoned pretty pretty robustly. So, and that, that's easy to play with. That's something to research and it's kind of fun. The other, to me, the, the ultimate cheese ravioli is called Schlutzkrapfen. 
one of those beautiful German words that has, let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four vowels start the, start the word. I'm sorry, th- four consonants start the word. Um, Schlusskrapfen is uh, from the Alto Arage. So the, the Tyrolese part of Italy, where German is the first language. And up there in uh, Dolomites, uh, they will often make fresh cheese from any number of whatever animals are on that mountain. That fresh cheese gets seasoned with what is there. It might be thyme. It might be fresh nettles. Uh, it might be mushrooms. It might be sage. It might be any number of things. But and it's and that and it's dried, and gets a little bit of breadcrumb and a little bit of egg yolk and a little bit of parmigiano, and that makes the farce to fill whatever shape you would like. It's nice to do them very small. What uh, you would think, in the rest of Italy, you would think of as a marabini, a little tiny okay. ravioli, mm-hmm. sort of like coin, big coin-sized, very easy to like, one bite, boom. And that with just brown butter is uh, spectacular. But yeah, schlutzkrapfen, just fun for the kids to say, if nothing Definitely. else. Yeah, I we- <clears throat> I have a new winter menu, so um, just super excited and energized about what we're doing right now. And uh, Everardo and I were talking about, uh, Everardo is my chef de cuisine, so he he has worked for me for 17 years. um, And uh, we, at some point, he decided he wanted to start making pasta. And I cannot, uh, I'm allergic to flour, raw flour. So if it's in the air, I can't, I'm going to sneeze a lot. Uh, and so I'm like, it's all yours, you know, I, we're, you know, we're, I'm not going to be a part of it. You want to do it. It's, you, you know, and it gives him, you know, in his role, it gives them a chance to do something that's all his and he has really flourished. I mean, he has become a great pasta maker and he has done some incredible things over the years. Uh, but we were talking about the new menu and I said, oh my gosh, how about if you do a force meat with, uh, for a ravioli with sweetbreads and foie gras? And he made it and we must have sold like 20 of those last night. And when you, I thought of it when you started talking about the, 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 uh, tortellini stuffing or force meat and, um, and, and we served it with brown butter and toasted pecans and a little bit of sage on the plate, which of course comes from a trip that you and I were on to Italy one time where we had, what was it, a pumpkin, uh, was it a pumpkin tortellini or something? The, yeah. It, the it, pumpkin tortelli. Tortelli. Yeah, and with brown uh, butter and sage. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I will never forget the first time I ever, we ate that, that dish and I'm like, oh my gosh. So anyway, but yeah, the, I really was excited about the, the idea of the sweetbread and the foie gras stuffing uh, in that ravioli. Um, but it's so fun to, to have new menu items on and to be doing new things. We're going to have to do an American comfort food show, Cindy. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time. Because we completely, <laughs> yeah. we didn't get there. We didn't get there. What are just off the top of your head? What do you think of as American comfort food? A couple of things. Oh, you know, chili. Yeah. Uh, burgers and fries. For sure. Um, and there are a million different regional things too. I mean, that's bizarre things like Cincinnati skyline chili, and uh, you know, <laughs> I love and, that and, stuff. and 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 but all all different. It's <laughs> yeah, terrible, but you eat a lot of it. Um, mm. there, there's there's all kinds of stuff. So we'll we'll have to get into Pizza. a program on that. Mm-hmm. So if you are, uh, if you like, please email us, foremanwolf at wipr.org, and pitch us your ideas for American comfort food favorites. Uh, we'd love to hear. Would be would be great, and we'll uh, 
go through your responses and try to try to read a bunch in the air and try to address those as well as come up with some of our own on a program in the very near future. We'd love to hear from listeners on any topic, um, but it'd be great to fuel uh, an American comfort food program, which has got to be the most diverse of all po- potential uh, comfort food programs we could do. If you want to listen to this or any one of our other programs as part of the podcasts on WIPR, go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page and download podcasts and listen away. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me as Chef Wolf on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, me, you can follow uh, the real Tony Foreman on Instagram. Gosh, after all this talk, we got to get cooking. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>